Okay, so this morning we're back into our sermon series on Matthew. We've taken our time and we are taking our time. Uh, we've got quite a while left going through this gospel bit by bit, piece by piece. And I'm really excited this year to continue following through in Jesus' life and ministry. And I'm really hoping that we get so much out of it. And one of the, the story that we're on this morning is is one of those many healings that we read about that Jesus performs in the Bible. And uh, it's important though, um, that as we approach this, that we don't just see it as, oh, it's just another just little moment where Jesus heals someone who's blind. Um, it's important that we don't just treat it as just another moment. Yes, and, and yeah, yeah, I get all that, and let's move on to what happens next. It's important that we stop and we reflect on what God is still saying to us today as followers of Jesus through this moment in Scripture. And, you know, as you look at Jesus' life, as I look at Jesus, there is a multitude of reasons why I truly believe that he is who he said he was, that he is the Son of God, that the, the reason why I choose to stand and worship on a Sunday morning and proclaim the name of Jesus, why I choose to base my life and, and, and lifestyle around his teachings is because I truly believed that Jesus was who he said he was. And one of the things that convinces me that Jesus was God that is, is the miracles that he performed. It's one of the things. Now, obviously, there is the miracle that we all know very well and that our whole faith is based on that proves that Jesus wasn't just a man, but he was, in fact, God. And that is the resurrection. The, the ultimate sign to us that he wasn't just a man, he was who he says he was, it was the resurrection. And that's, that was proof that my faith is assured in him. But also, these scattered miracles that we read about, they continue to prove to us who he was. The, the fact that Jesus performed these miracles, as far as the people who were watching, even the people who despised him and would kill him, it was never in question to them that these miracles that he was performing were real. That was never in question. Um, and he would, he would perform these miracles, and the Jewish leaders and the Roman leaders, they would never question that this was actually happening. They would question how he was doing it, but not that what they were seeing was real. And uh, Josephus, he's a Jewish historian, he's first century, and uh, he... He wasn't a follower of Jesus as, as, as far as we know. And he wrote this on a, a paper called The Antiquities of the Jews. And he wrote, Now there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many Jews and Gentiles. So it was never in dispute that this Jesus was a doer of wonderful, amazing works. And what we're going to read through this morning, you'll see that that's not questioned by the Pharisees who really were out to get him and would eventually get him. Um, they just were confused at how he was doing them. But the most amazing thing about Jesus was not just the miracles that he did, but it was, or being a miracle worker, it was how he did them too. And, and where he did them and who he did them to. We, we'll notice as we read through this account today that uh, Jesus wasn't like these star miracle workers today of, you know, selling their books and, 
and, and, and sell, selling out the seats in a, in a stadium, you know, to paying audiences. Jesus often, when he performed these miracles, he would go behind closed doors. He would have a small crowd of people that he would allow to be there to witness. He would perform them with, with, with <coughs> sorry, I've got a cough this week, uh, with people there that he wanted to be there to make these moments intimate. And, and it, even more amazing, to make it more amazing, it was who, how he decided to do these things. He would touch these people. He would touch the untouchables, um, the leper, a dead body, the eyes of the blind. And why does he touch them? I mean, we've already read in Matthew's gospel that Jesus can just say a word from a distance and people are healed. And yet Jesus, what does he do here? He, he chooses to touch people um, to, be, to heal them. It spoke of his love, of his care, and so much more. And it was also what he healed. Jesus wasn't just walking around curing snotty noses and zits on your chins, although that would be helpful for me sometimes. <coughs> Excuse me. He heals leprosy, demon possession, people who were paralyzed, blindness, and even death. So, this is a pretty thick foundation, but I wanted to lay that before we read out today's account that we're going to go through. And I want us to bear in mind who Jesus is, who he claims to be. And this is not just another little short story squashed in between all of the exciting stuff. This is an incredible moment and God still wants to speak to you today through this scripture. So we're going to read Matthew 9. I'm just going to have a drink of water. <coughs> Excuse me. Matthew 9, we're going to go from 27 to 34. It says this, As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this, but they went out and they spread the news about him all over that region. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, it is, it is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. Okay, so a couple of things happened here, obviously. A couple of things have happened. And um, I'm going to spend most of my time this morning talking about the two blind men. And there's reasons for that I'll, I'll share with you uh, later on. But I, I think just to notice first... Um, whenever we read our Bibles, we have these things called chapters and verses. Now, when Matthew wrote this for us, he didn't put in chapters and verses, okay? Um, but we've split this up, and that's really helpful. However, when we do things like Bible in one year, we just kind of open our Bibles and read a little bit and then close it, and then the next day open, open it up and read a little bit. We can miss some things, and the first thing that Matthew tells us here that's really important is that he says, as Jesus went on from there went on from there. And <coughs> when it's, we, we see sentences like that, it's really good to stop and say, as he went on from where? <laughs> and and, re and realize that 
this moment with these two blind men in this house, it's not an isolated thing that's happened on an isolated day. This is a continuation of what Jesus was just doing. And one of the reasons I love for people to have Bibles in their hands is because you can see right away what's just above it. So where's he just come from? Well, John spoke on it uh, before I run up to Christmas, and it was the, the, uh, the young girl who was raised from the dead. Jesus has just raised this girl from the dead, and in the midst of all that, we've had this woman who's been bleeding for years and years, and she's just reached out and touched the hem of Jesus' garment, and she's been healed um, of, of her bleeding. And so Jesus has just done these incredible two miracles, and, and, and we read as he went on from there, he's, he's going to this house and these two blind men, they shout out to Jesus, have mercy on us, son of David. And <coughs> I'm sorry about this cough. And what we can imagine is where Jesus has been, as he went on from there, there's this buzz, there's this crowd, there's this excitement at what they're seeing. And Jesus, it looks like he's gone into this house I've got to keep to my notes, otherwise I'll go well over. Um, and as, he, as, he, as he's heading towards his house, um, these two men call out to him. And for the first time, as people shout out to Jesus and ask him to have mercy, to heal them, Jesus, what does he do? He just walks past them. He keeps on walking and he's heading towards his home. Now, we don't know exactly which home it is. From earlier in the chapter, he's hanging out at Matthew's house. So maybe he's gone back to Matthew's house. But as he's heading to this home, these two men shout out, have mercy on us, son of David. Now, why does he walk straight past them? Well, Matthew doesn't tell us, but maybe Jesus is testing their faith. Like, is it just like a, a throwaway comment? Um, have mercy on us, you know, as he's walking past and just hoping he does something, like throws him a coin or something like that. Uh, or, or maybe it's because, uh, you know, they've called him son of David. They, they've used a messianic term to call him out as the Messiah. Maybe Jesus is just a little bit, self, you know, conscious that he's got a crowd around him. He doesn't know what that's going to cause in terms of, re, of a response. We don't know. But what is consistent throughout Jesus' healings is that Jesus likes to keep the eyewitnesses to his miracles to a minimum. Uh, like I said, he didn't gather crowds. He didn't get on a big platform and draw attention. Right, everybody pay attention. He, watch what I'm going to do. You know, he doesn't do that. He likes to keep it with behind closed doors with a handful of people and keep this to yourself. And, and whatever the reason it is that he goes into the house, these two men, these two blind men, they make their way to him. And like, like the dead girl, um, like the dead girl's father from the synagogue, like, like the bleeding woman, like the guys who, who ripped the roof off a house in order to get their friends down to Jesus. What we see with these two blind men is they are determined to get into the presence of Jesus. It isn't just a throwaway comment at the side of the street. They are determined to be in Jesus' presence. And they follow him into this home. And you know, these men, we, 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 we've read examples of the encounters. And I think, I think the question is, is, is to, to look at their pursuit of Jesus and, and, and to follow him where he leads into this home. And I think the question is for us going into this new year is, do we do the same thing? Are we, in this year ahead, 
thinking about what, what you want to accomplish in 2024 and thinking about what you want this year to look like, is it going to be about for you pursuing Jesus? Being desperate to be in his presence and, and, and following him where he leads? Are, are you intentionally, am I intentionally putting aside time to be with Jesus? Am I determined in my day-to-day walk with him to put aside that time to be, I just want to be in your presence, Jesus. I just want to spend time with you. I just want to be with you. I just, I know that that's the best place for me to be, to be with you. And, and um, do we have the same desire to do that? Do we have the desire to think, actually, it's, this year is not going to be about how many uh, series I get through on Netflix. It's not going to be about how much time I can spend reading the books that I love. It's not going to be about how much I get to do doing what I want to do. This year is going to be about simply getting into the presence of Jesus as much as I can. And that might mean something different for everybody. It might be spending time in worship and, and just worshipping Him and praising Him for what He's done. It might be reading your Bible and just making sure you put inside that time every day to spend time in the Word of God. It might be just praying with your family. It might just be praying by yourself, but just saying, actually, Lord, I want to be in your presence. Do we have the same hunger and desire? Is it all gone? Is that desire gone in us? That I have the belief that regardless of my circumstances, regardless of my life, that actually, if I can just get into the presence of Jesus, then actually I know that's where everything can change. I know that that's where he's going to speak to me. I know that's where he's going to, he's going to be welcoming and his accountants towards me. He's going to be smiling towards me. I know that regardless of my life, that in the presence of Jesus, everything is better. These blind men, they knew how perilous their situation was. They knew, you know, there's no benefits for blind people in those days. There's no welfare state to look after these people. They were reliant on coins. They couldn't work. They had no means of employment. They were unable to help themselves. But they knew, if I can get in front of Jesus, then my life can change. He can conquer the issue. Brothers and sisters, in times of anguish in times of disaster in times of mourning in times of pain in times of worry in times of anxiety in times of joy in times of, of the sun is shining and this is a, the most wonderful life we need to be a people that are determined to get into the presence of Jesus he is the miracle worker he is the life changer and I'd love I'd love you to ask yourself right now do I have that same thirst that same desire that same willingness that's him wanting to just to be with him to understand that he is the life changer i'd love you to just think about that as we uh, continue this morning so they're in front of jesus they've got there they've followed him into this house they've had the faith to follow him into this house and jesus asked them one question do you believe that i am able to do this Do you have faith in me, is what he's asking them. Do you believe in me? Do you believe that I am who I claim to be? You see, the cries of these blind men from the side of the road, Jesus recognizes they weren't just cries of desperation, like, oh, my life is awful. Woe is me, help me, you know. They weren't just cries of, oh, 
Look how bad my life is. They were cries of faith in Jesus. They were cries of the one that they had faith was the Messiah. They, they were the one, he was the one, they knew he was the one who had the authority to change their circumstances. And what does it mean to have faith? What does it mean for you to have faith in Jesus? Because we use that word a lot, it's a very spiritual word, isn't it? I have faith, you know. Do you have a faith, brother? You know, we ask those questions. <coughs> what does it mean to have faith? Well, faith simply means to have complete trust and confidence in something or someone. That's what faith means. To have complete confidence and trust in something or someone. And you know what? It doesn't matter if you call yourself a follower of Jesus this morning. It doesn't matter whether you'd say that you're an atheist. You do have faith. Everyone has faith. We all have something that we choose to put our faith and our trust and our confidence into. Every one of us. And we live in a world... I don't know if you've noticed, sorry, this cough is really bothering me. We live in a world that, have, that is packed full of uh, products and people and political parties and politicians and all different types of things that ask you to put your faith and your trust in them. Hey, I'm the one who's going to push forward your agenda. Or wear this product and I promise you, you will not be let down. Anybody heard statements like that? You know, uh, uh, in 2014, uh, Red Bull. Yeah, I know, this has gone a different way, hasn't it, this, uh, this talk all of a sudden. They were sued, they were sued, believe this or not, and, and had to pay out 13 million dollars. 13 million dollars. Do you know why? What does Red Bull do, people? It gives you, yeah, wings. It gives you wings. They were sued by somebody because <laughs> it didn't give them wings. And they had to pay out 13 million dollars because in the court, they, they, they were, the, the court was uh, agreed that their advertisement showed that if you drink their products, it gives you wings as such, but it makes you more alert, more active, more productive. That's exactly what they teach you. Put your faith in us. If you're feeling a bit run down, a bit tired, have a Red Bull. It gives you wings. Uh, in in uh, uh, the Kardashians, which is a name I use to sound like I know what I'm talking about. I've never, I don't know who they are, but I've heard their name. They help sketchers uh, launch their uh, shape-up shoes. Um, I don't know if anybody ever got any of these. And they had to pay $40 million. Do you know why? Because they told people, if you wear these shoes, it will tone your whole body. It's just wearing them, walking around is like a workout for your body. You get nice abs, you get a nice core strength, your legs are all toned and, you know, all the rest of it. Just wear these shoes. At $40 million it cost them because it's not true. People put their faith in these shoes and it's not true. And Nutella, man, who loves Nutella? I love Nutella. I love Nutella. Um, and they had to pay a Californian mother $3 million because she said, you told me that this was a healthy product to have with my breakfast and to give to my children. It has added nutrients and benefits and vitamins and all that stuff. And it's not true. I had faith in you that you would be a healthy part of my daughter's breakfast and you weren't. You lied to me. 
We are surrounded every day, every day, by companies, brands, politicians, political parties, asking you to put your faith in them. You can trust them. You can trust that what you see is what you get. How many times have you been let down? Just start with the politicians. <laughs> How many times have you been let down? You see, Jesus was who he said he was. Jesus was God come to be with his people. He was fully God and fully man. And he asked these blind men, do you believe that I am able to do this? Do you believe? And we've been talking this morning, haven't we? God's been speaking to us already through these prophetic words about these ashes and about the destruction that comes to our lives and the letdowns and the disappointments and the things that we pray for that are righteous and, and, and beautiful, like our children coming to Jesus or about things in our lives or wanting to see wars end or wanting to see breakthrough in your life or to see addiction smashed to see all of these things and instead for joy to come. And I feel like Jesus is saying to you and to me this morning, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Do you truly have faith in me? Unwavering faith that I am who I say I am. So the question that I want to ask all of us going into 2024 is, what is it or who is it that you've truly put your faith into? Is your faith in your career? In, in like this, this is the thing that will keep me secure. This is the thing that will give me value and worth and meaning and a reason to get out of bed. <coughs> is it in your ices and your pension pots? Is it is your faith in getting your dream move to the your ideal place? I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna you know I'm gonna retire in the Maldives. You know, is it in meeting? Mrs. Wright or Mr. Wright, the one, you know, I'm going to get married and that person, they're going to help solve all my problems and I won't be lonely and my anxiety will go away. The Bible is clear that our faith is to be placed in one person and one person alone. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. And he will make your paths straight. Jesus is asking you the same question he asked those two blind men. Do you believe? Do you believe in me? Do you believe that I have the authority? Do you believe that I have the authority over all creation? The winds, the waves, the, the mountains, the, the demons, all of creation must submit to the name of Jesus. Do you believe? These men believed. These two blind men, they put their faith in Jesus and with his word and with his touch, they opened their eyes and what did they see? Jesus. They see Jesus. And the next in line is this uh, man who's possessed by a demon and he's brought to Jesus and it tells us that he's unable to speak and Jesus uh, he's leaving the house, it seems, at this point, and the crowds are all still stood outside waiting for him, and this man's brought to him. And Jesus casts out this demon, showing once again his authority over everything, showing once again that he is the one that we can put our faith and our confidence into. And this, and this 
uh, demon, it leaves the man, he's immediately able to speak. And what's, and what's the, the response in light of these non-stop miracles? That the people of Capernaum have seen that day, there, there is this response of awe and wonder, total amazement saying, nothing like this, nothing like this has ever been seen. Has ever been seen. And like I said at the beginning, the Pharisees, how do they respond? Well, they don't argue that Jesus has just performed these incredible miracles because they can't. But instead, they argue as to how he's performing these miracles. And I'm not going to spend any time going through that actually this morning because in May, we're going to hit um, chapter 12. And uh, that's, we, that, whole, that whole argument is raised and we're going to spend some time on it then. But as we head into the new year, I felt this was a, just the perfect scripture to land on. Are we desperate? Are you desperate? Forget the person next to you right now. Are you in your own personal walk with your heavenly Father, desperate to get into his presence. Like the men who tear holes in roofs, like the, like the woman who just reaches out for Jesus' garment, like the, like the temple leader who ran to find Jesus when his daughter was about to die, like these two blind men that follow him into someone's house. Are we desperate to get into his presence? Are we desperate? Because we know that he's the only one, the only one who can truly change our circumstances. He's the only one who truly brings life and joy and peace and dance into us. Are we truly desperate? Are we carving out that part of your day to read your Bible, to meditate on his word, to pray, to worship, to listen to his voice? I can't say enough, please this year be desperate to get into the presence of Jesus. Whether that's our prayer meeting at the end of every month, last Wednesday of every month, we, you know, we, as an eldership, we've been very clear. Those are, meetings are not to have an agenda. They are all about just encountering the presence of God. Put them in your calendar every Wednesday, last Wednesday of every month, we're meeting to just do that together. But in your own personal life, can you do that? And lastly this morning, I feel... I feel Jesus calling us back to him. And maybe your just, life has just become a bit, you know, rearranged it a little bit and actually you're, you're, you know that you've ended up putting your faith in maybe just your bank account. Maybe you've looked at it and said, man, I feel comfortable now because my bank account's at the right level. Or I don't feel comfortable because my bank account's not at the right level. Maybe it's in how you look, what you wear, how you dress, having the right logo on your, on your left pocket. That gives me confidence, it gives me value, it gives me, gives me an identity. Maybe it's because your political party might win an election this year. That will bring me hope, that will bring me a sense of, here we go, things are changing. The world will tell you there's a million reasons you can put your trust in it, you can put your faith in it. But time and time again, it will let you down. Jesus will never fail you. He was who he said he was. He is who he says he is. And he will always be. And this year, I want to encourage you to make it a year that, you know, regardless of where you've come from, Jesus just takes you as you are. And he welcomes you as a son and as a daughter. 
And this year can be a year you say, you know what, this year, 2024, was a year where I just got stuck into the presence of Jesus, where I put my faith and my whole confidence in him and I, and I got rid of the other things that were distractions to me and, and they promised me pleasure, they promised me, they promised me belonging, they promised me identity, they promised me all types of things and happiness and, and actually I know that the, those things are only found in him, truly found in him. They might bring me temporary but Jesus brings me permanent. Today, Jesus is asking you to put your faith in him alone. I want to welcome the band just to come back up just as we move into a time of response. Put your faith in him and him alone. And if you've allowed, if you just know you've, I've allowed my heart to be distracted, it's okay. It's okay to say that. And you can be honest. It's okay. Jesus loves you. <laughs> but today, it's just about us as a family saying, hey, come on. Man, we want to be people known for just loving the presence of Jesus, don't we? we want, that's what we want this church to be known for, just for worship of Jesus, being in the presence of Jesus. And actually, our faith and our confidence isn't in our balance sheets. Trust me, if you look at our balance sheets as a church, there's not much faith to be put in them. It's not in them. It's in Jesus. It's in Him, the one who's never failed us. So I'm going to hand over to Paul in just a moment, but why don't we just stand?